Hi, this is Watchin, and you are now listening to the I Choose the Ladder podcast, a podcast for Black women on the corporate climb. This episode is brought to you by The Memo, the weekly I Choose the Ladder newsletter that goes out every Monday to help you with your career development needs during the week. In the newsletter, I share articles that I found helpful as a Black woman in corporate America, career development resources, job opportunities, and upcoming I Choose the Ladder events. Everything that we do is released to the subscribers of the newsletter first. So if the memo sounds like something you would like to receive, you can subscribe by texting CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. Again, that's CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. This episode is a little bit different than what you normally hear. So this was our office hours that we had with Joyce Lewis, who is a talent acquisition specialist. Office hours are our 60 minute fireside chats with subject matter experts. And these people are experts on things that have to do with your career. It was recorded live on LinkedIn. And so some of the conversations that you'll hear took place with live Q&A, but overall you should be able to get the gist of what Joyce is talking about. And I'm gonna entitle this, you know, finding a job in the times of COVID. She talks about, you know, getting through recruiters and the different things that you can do to make yourself stand out as a candidate. Um, if you are looking for a job or looking to pivot during this time, Um, But I had a great time. Thank you all for the feedback from those who took the time to um, to log in live to hear the conversations. Um, But as always, grab your favorite beverage, grab your favorite pen and your uh, pen or pencil and get ready to catch these gems that Joyce is dropping, because I'm sure that there are things there that you can apply to um, your job search or your career development, regardless of where you are in the process of finding a new job. The Senior Vice President of Marketing Partnerships for the WNBA team here in Chicago, the Chicago Sky. And then I also run a company called I Choose the Ladder, um, which is a company that aims to bridge the gap between just Black women who want to climb the corporate ladder and the corporations who understand how important it is for their bottom line to not only attract, but also retain that specific group. And the way that we do that is through uh, a weekly podcast, which you can find on, I would say Instagram, but it's not Instagram, which you can find on iTunes and also on Spotify. It's the I Choose the Ladder podcast. We have live events. And then once a month, we do what we call our office hours. And office hours are an hour-long fireside chat where we connect our audience with a subject matter expert. Um, And with everything that's been going on in the world of jobs and, and unemployment. Um, I think today I saw that we've hit over 40 million Americans who have applied for unemployment. And we know that typically when these things happen, the impact is felt the hardest uh, in black and brown communities and especially in black communities. And so today I thought it would be important to have Joyce Lewis, who is a talent acquisition specialist with over 20 years of experience in uh, you know recruitment and marketing marketing come and provide us with some of her expertise um, around uh, what it looks like looking for a job or looking for a promotion internally during these crazy times. So Joyce, thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure. Thanks for having and thank you all for um, sending those amazing questions. I didn't even get to really add any of my own because y'all had it covered. So I think the first question that we want to start with is, Joyce, what is the difference between what you do as a recruiter and what a hiring manager does? 
Sure, sure. The main thing to know is as you're in your search, the recruiter's job is to screen you and to make sure that you have the qualifications and that you present well. And then the recruiter, if that goes well, will will pass you on to the hiring manager. The hiring manager is looking to make sure that one, you can bring results to the role, but also that you would be a good fit for the culture and the organization and specifically the team. Got it. And when you as a recruiter are out in the, like, there are so many resumes that you get. There are so many um, people who may proactively reach out to you. What are you looking for in candidates that stand out in terms of like how they present themselves on their resume or maybe on LinkedIn or their social media platforms? What key things are you looking for? Sure, sure. Well, again, skill sets are going to be very important. And that's something when I talk to people who haven't Gather a resume for many years. Um, I'm talking maybe five, 10, 15 years. I always tell them resumes are different now because there's AI, automate, um, um, automatic, or artificial intelligence, excuse me. So the, what happens is that a machine is looking through for keywords. So you have to be able to pass that piece. So you need to uh, make sure that key skill sets that you see on the position descriptions for the types of roles you're looking for are included on your resume. The other thing is that maybe the way of saying what you do has changed. So you need to be updated. And the way to do that is to really look at the position descriptions. For instance, in recruiting, uh, the word talent acquisition should be on there, full cycle recruiting, et cetera, too. Um, and so do you find that people are typically not looking at the job descriptions, they're just sending their resumes? Like, is that something that you've seen happen? Well, what happens is people put together their resumes based on their backgrounds. What I'm saying is that look at the position description that you are going for and make sure that you that it matches up your resume matches up for the type of role or roles that you're looking for that may mean that you have more than one resume if you're looking at you know two different paths or what have you but the key thing is is to have the skill sets on your resume because if you're not making if you don't make it past the artificial intelligence screen that won't get you in the door unless you have someone internally who can network with you in the company um, and i think the flip side of that too is not just your resume but also your linkedin um, at the conference that we had last year one of the the speakers said that your linkedin should be designed for the job that you want not the job that you already have right you already have that job so if there are positions that you are looking for, make sure that the descriptions and the things that are on your LinkedIn show or close the gap between what you're currently doing and um, what your next potential employer may be looking for. So go through and scrub your LinkedIn to make sure that you are highlighting the skills that the recruiters are looking for for the jobs that you're looking for. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And one of the ways to do that is your headline in LinkedIn. A lot of times people are not taking advantage of the headline. They may just have um, job title, I'm marketing manager, what have you. But are you a marketing manager with an expertise in sponsorships or an expertise in going after diverse markets or what have you? So, the way you describe yourself in the headline is very important, but also you can use that headline to position you for your desired next role. 
Um, one of the questions that we got a lot of um, is around how the interview process is shifting, right? So because people are sheltering in place and companies are still hiring and people are still looking, most job interviews now, that person-to-person interaction has been completely removed and everything is virtual. So how do you recommend that uh, applicants adjust for this new style of interviewing, if you would recommend that they adjust in any way? Well, I would say the adjustments are minor. Um, and one of the things to point out is that most, if not many companies, were, were already using virtual tools prior to the pandemic, believe it or not, um, with many of the interviewing uh, done virtually to save on time, to save on money, and even having pre-recorded questions answered uh, by the candidate that would be emailed back into the screening interview. So those tools were already in place, but now, as you mentioned, the entire process is is often done virtually. Uh, what I say is the key is is that treat it like a a face to face. You have to definitely work hard to make sure you're developing that rapport and be yourself. Technically, um, I always say check, text, um, test the technology in advance, seeing how surrounding is going to be uh, in place. Um, uh, but other than that, it's very similar. Very similar. Um, now, in this pandemic, not everybody groomed the same way. One of the things I do say to my hiring managers is just, you know, to be mindful and to that piece, too. There may be some distractions where people having families in the background. You may hear some noise or the dog barking or what have you. Uh, people may not be, again, as groomed as they normally would have been if the barber shops or hair salons were open. So I ask for some flexibility with that. But otherwise, the biggest thing is the technology and being aware of your background and um, working to build that same rapport that you would in person. Um, I think it's great that you're talking to hiring managers about them being flexible as well, because, you know, if you've been on social media, you see that a lot of people are complaining about these haircuts and not having, you know, seen their barber in a while and they are suffering. And you can tell the ones who have fresh haircuts because they're all in the camera, all on Instagram. Um, but I think it's great that you have started to talk to to the people internally because these are not normal times when people are interviewing. And so having that flexibility go both ways, I think is something that's really important says a lot for the company. Um, so right now people are trying to, usually it's the other way around where recruiters are trying to get the attention of, you know, qualified candidates, but there are people now who would potentially be proactively reaching out to recruiters to put themselves in that hiring pool. How do you suggest that they best go about doing that? How do they reach out to uh, recruiters or what have you? One of the things is that, you know, I'm big on link using the LinkedIn tool. That's not the only tool for searching, but LinkedIn has so much to offer as a one-stop shop where only over 90% of companies utilize LinkedIn for recruiting and for their talent or employment brand. So LinkedIn is a very powerful tool. And one of the things is that when you see a posting, the recruiter has the option of whether to include their LinkedIn profile with the posting. So when that is posted, that's a very big gift there that you're able to contact the recruiter, even if the person is not open to receiving uh email or in messages on LinkedIn from people who are not their connections, you can send a connection request and say, you know, I'm interested in this role. Um, if you had insights or opportunity to speak or what have you. So that's one of the ways is utilizing LinkedIn, 
connecting with the recruiter. Also, LinkedIn will let you know who on who within your network works within a certain company if you visit the company's LinkedIn tool, I mean LinkedIn page. So that's a great way to network as well. And I think finally, the biggest thing is that people think there's a major shift too because it's ver uh, we're we're now sheltered in place. But most, if you think about it, most networking was happening virtually anyway. So I think it's very similar in terms of how do you go about your uh, your uh, search and how do you stand out in your search. Mm -hmm. And um, what were you just talking about, uh, the talent. So are there things that people can be doing um, to network within that LinkedIn space? that could potentially help them get, you know, placed into a position that you see that people aren't commonly taking advantage of. Yes, yes. Well, one of the things again is looking who within your network, who within your network works for the company, but beyond that, who within your connections network work for the company. So uh, about two months ago, I was connected by someone in my in my network that says, "I see you're connected to FYC person, and I've been um, I've been trying to connect with that organization." And that person didn't really ring a bell, but I looked and looked in my I have a habit of if I meet someone at a conference, like I did this gentleman, I sent a note to the person at that particular company. So I was able to connect those two for a brief meeting. Mm -hmm. That was something that I, I and I believe in paying it forward um, and being open. So most of the time, most of the time, people, if you can catch their attention on LinkedIn, they will be helpful. If your ask is reasonable, you know, I mean, you're conscious of their time, polite, you know, open, etc. Um, so I was able to connect those two for a brief conversation. So I always say, look at beyond your network to your friends' network, and that's what LinkedIn is all about. So those are some examples. Um, for people who then make it past like the initial and like they actually get to meet with a recruiter, how much research do you expect them to have done on both the company and the position before they talk to you? Okay. Well, one thing to keep in mind is when you talk to the initial recruiter, that is considered a phone screen. Typically, they will set the stage of about 30 minutes for that uh, conversation, even if they haven't told you a time frame. Expect about 30 minutes if it's going really good or they need more information. It may be 40, 45 minutes. Point is, is that's going to be brief. The um, while they while the recruiter wants to allow time for you to answer questions. You're, they're going to take up most of the time really he, you know, asking the questions, hearing your answers, wanting to qualify you because they have to turn around and present you to their client, whether that's an internal hiring manage, manager or team or an external company that hired them. So they've got to gather the notes and then they're going to give you, they'll typically start off or at least end with an overview of the organization because they want to whet your appetite and, and, and interest you as well. And then finally, they will ask slave time for a couple of questions or what have you. Typically, point is, is there's not going to be a lot of time. So I would say you certainly do your research, but I focus, uh, I would expect the questions to be more focused on the skill sets you're looking for to be successful. I like to get insight from a the initial recruiter as far as What's going to make the difference? Like, what's that hiring manager really looking for? And often they'll give you clues to what's going on in the organization as well. Um, 
if they really have time for more questions, they'll say, what else you got? What else you got? But typically they're they're on that time frame onto their next call. And I would say as you get further in the process, then yes, more from um, they expect you to know more of what's going on. So I always say, uh, look at press releases within the org, you know, on their website. You can do Google search. Lots of information is out there. And I always recommend talking to people you know within the company. And they'll tell you, too, what's going on. They'll say, if you're going for a marketing role, they may say, you know what? Our new CEO has a marketing background, and he or she is really looking to move the organization in this way. Um, often, too, they will t um, friends will tell you, this is the style of interviewing. They're big on this, et cetera. So be prepared for the X, Y, and Z. Um, and technically for you, your client is whatever that hiring manager, whoever that hiring manager is or if it's for a company. So what are, how are you being measured? Like what does success look like for you? And then are there things that candidates can do to help it make it easier for you to be successful? Yes. So always keep in mind that a recruiter, even if they work for an executive search firm, they can help you as much as there are open opportunities that fit your background to desires and what have you. The recruiter, recruiting is sales. It is sales, so there are metrics behind recruiters, and they are rated on um, ultimately high, the time to fill. So how long from the time that they got the open requisition to having a hiring, a higher, you know, offer extended to the person is in the seat, and that, and is that person successful? So the think of it this way: that hire is really attached to not only the hiring manager but also to the recruiter, to, and that pool of candidates that are presented and interviewed are recruit are, are a reflection of the recruiter's work. Are you bringing me a talented pool of pool of candidates that meet the qualifications that present themselves well? Are you bringing me a diverse slate of candidates? Have you looked for a broad pool of backgrounds, experiences, ethnic backgrounds, genders, etc.? Um, but that's what we are rated on. And to, in terms of being helpful to a recruiter is, again, uh, it makes it easy. I would say someone's very presentable um, when they're able to uh, clearly and concisely show that they have the skills and experiences uh, that my hiring manager is looking for. Now, yes, I've that on paper, on the resume and the LinkedIn profile, but you're able to bring that to life and to provide examples. And that, again, I know you're going to present well, you relate well, the relationship building skills, et cetera, because that, those soft skills are just as important as having the, you know, the hard skills, if you will, the actual tools and competencies, but having those soft skills, because people you know, people hire people who can, you know, get along with others, collaborate, lead, be team players, people who are self-aware, business acumen, etc. So those are all very important, too. So the recruiter is assessing that because, again, the hiring manager will be like, where do you find this person? You know what I mean? So we, we want you have to stand behind that person and believe in that. Also, all, the recruiter, if they really believe in you, even if it didn't work out, even if you didn't get that particular position, even if you weren't selected to interview, they will they they're open to a follow up from you and say, you know what, I'm really interested in the organization. I'd like to keep in touch. And they often will say, well, if you see another posting, I'd be happy to uh, talk to that recruiter internally on your behalf. And that happens. Mm -hmm. So. Um, 
Go ahead. Relationship, absolutely. And one of the things that, you know, I always, uh, the stats around how, what percentage of the skills you see in a job do you need to have before you apply, right? Men, the percentage, they're like, if, when they're 50%, they're like, yeah, I can do this, I got this. And then when it comes to women and the women of color, the number just, it's like, we have to have 150% of the requirements before you know we even think about applying. So for you, what's a good recommendation, right? So someone sees a job uh, posting and they look at it and they say, oh, I, I have like 75% of, of what they're asking for. Is that good enough to apply? Should it be 80? Should it be 50? Like what, what do you see that has worked? Sure, sure. I've not thought of it in terms of a number, but the examples you give are very good in terms of that that range uh, because it does take some you know, some emotional intelligence as well. If you have 25, 30%, then maybe even though you're interested in the organization, then that's likely not the role for you. That's when I talk about emotional intelligence. And companies can see all the positions that you apply for in their um in their uh, in their recruiting system that they use so they can they can see oh she applied for that 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 and the other so you want to be focused in what you apply for if you're very interested in a particular organization um but i would say you bring up a good point that some people are very much like well you know what i have the bulk of the experience so i'm going to apply where others will hold ourselves back and say, you know what, I don't have everything. So it's not expected, it's ideal. Typically, when you see a list of qualifications and experiences, that's the ideal candidate that they had everything for. But then companies understand that what can be learned on the on the job, you know what I mean? If this person has the skills and if you can communicate, you know what, I have these transferable skills, you know what I mean, and that I can quickly get up to speed with the other pieces. So I would, I would say in general, you want to certainly have more than 50% of what you see there. Um, and then but what you don't have, think about as you communicate with the people with the work, you know, when you're in interviews about, you know, what's transferable from that standpoint. And then just quickly, one of the things that LinkedIn added in the last couple of years or so is if you apply for a position on LinkedIn or if you just look at a posting on LinkedIn, they will match up the skills that you have listed in your profile, which is an important thing to do because recruiters can search by skills. They will match up your skills listed versus the skills they're looking for and they'll check off and you can say, and they'll say, you know what, you're, you're like, in the probably top 25 people, you know, kind of encouraging you to apply. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think just to add on that briefly, like it's your job to tell your career story. So if you haven't taken the time to think about, you know, how the pieces of your career kind of weave in together and what's the overarching like, theme and trend during like the full picture, I would suggest that you take some time to really sit back and see how all the different pieces of your uh, your career fit together to tell a story about you and the work that you do. Um, I think especially now, long gone are the days where you're going to be spending 25 years in one position. I think those days have been gone for a while. And so you're going to have different pieces of the puzzle that you're going to have to be able to help other people make sense of that. And so before you start going and, you know, going hard at stuff, make sure you've taken some time to think about the, the overarching themes of, of your career story. Um, I think oh, I just wanted to add really quickly is a, a great point about that is that I'm starting to see with my colleagues, a friend of mine from business school um, just recently 
started as president of a college, a um, Catholic school, and she has no educational background or what have you, but it tied so nicely with her background because so much of the role is fundraising, and so she had done that, is marketing, she had done marketing, etc. So it's some writing and communication, she had done that. So it really tied together, and she could tell that story of her background. Mm-hmm. Um, so this too, and I think this, this happens when people are in a position where they're looking for jobs, sometimes you may just be excited to be invited to interview for something, you may be excited um, to be have an opportunity to speak with a recruiter, and you lose sight of the fact that it's an interview that's a two-way interview. And so what are some, maybe two or three questions that you feel like people are not asking recruiters that they should be? Um, and again, the initial phone screen is a time to ask questions, but recognizing that time is limited. Uh, when you are with the hiring team and including the hiring manager, those interviews are typically at least 45 minutes to an hour and they may, and they open the door for follow-up inter- uh, questions uh, via interview uh, via email or by phone or what have you. So there you really want to know about the culture. Um, you know, that's a big piece of it too. Um, and you, because you want to, you want it to be a good fit. Like you said, I think so much of it is we want to, we want the offer and that's very important, but then you have to be intentional to see if this is a good fit for you. So you want to know what a career path was going to look like um, and what those potentials are. Um, you know, what is, what do these individuals see, uh, see as a way to be successful? What are the critical tools? Often if you're asking, um, what does it take someone to be successful in this role? You will get a sense of sometimes some of the challenges. Sometimes people will bring up, you know, well, the last person in this role faced these challenges or didn't work because of this, or etc. Um, also asking what do they interpret as the key areas of focus for this role will tell you where their priorities are, particularly the hiring manager, in terms of where they, where you can expect to be spending your time as you come in. Because they'll talk, you know, they'll talk in general what the role does. But again, when you break it down, what are the key areas of focus? They will tell. It should come out, but that's a key question that I always recommend that's asked. Hmm. Um, so one of the questions that came up and. Um, in terms of questions is because there will be a ton of people in the job market, um, negotiating during the process may be a little bit uh, harder, right? So things like, you know, negotiating your salary because there will be tons of people or there's a fear that there will be tons of people competing for the same jobs. And so how do you recommend that people think about negotiating effectively knowing what the job market is? Well, I think the one thing to keep in mind is that when you are down to the offer stage, they have settled on you. They would like to bring you in. So I don't think that there's a major difference at that point. Keep in mind that the 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 um, the initial phone screen recruiter, they will ask you, what are you expecting? You know, what are your salary expectations? So they'll ask you that. And much more than they will ask you, well, what are you currently earning? In the past, they would ask, what are you currently earning? Now, it's what are you expecting? So there, uh, it's important to be realistic, uh, but also that's your one time when you go into a company to start. You know, you can't start over, so you're, you're, that's going to be your starting point. So 
getting that out there in the beginning. If there's an issue with the compensation, the recruiter will tell you from the beginning, you know what, this is the range. I don't know, you know, and this is the bonus range. We may be able to work with this or that. But other than that, I wouldn't focus on, you know, this economy and the competitive market because for recruiters and for hiring managers, if they're doing their jobs effectively, our goal is to always have a pool of, can of highly qualified candidates to choose among, regardless of the pandemic. So I would treat it the same way. And then again, when the offer comes, they are interested in you. And one of the things that typically happens is that if they don't get the number two, believe it or not, so often the search starts all over. They don't, they're not as interested in the number two anymore if they don't get that number one. So they want you. And I'm saying, you know, I'm not saying won't well, be reasonable, but also that's your that's your one time to negotiate. So know your worth at that time, pandemic or not, you know. And you know, like if you guys listen to the podcast, y'all know all about negotiating and the statement is you don't get paid what you're worth you get paid what you negotiate right and, and so having your um your i know that this is what i need to make to like feel good about this position this is what i need to make to be like killing it and then this is the minimum where i can i have to walk away because this is the job for me just because the salary is not going to be allowing me to live in the in the way that i need to live right because you don't want to get a new job and then be miserable because the finances are so stressful and I know, and I get it like that being spoken from a place of privilege, there are going to be people who need to get jobs, who need to support their families. Uh, but as, as much as it's possible. And, you know, as Joyce mentioned, if you are getting an offer, they want you. Um, and I would say, don't let fear stop you from saying in the initial parts of the interview, this is what I need, because that also factors into if that is the right position for you or if it's not. Uh, so negotiate, negotiate, negotiate. Don't be out here selling yourself short from operating from a place of fear because um, if they want you, most of the times companies will find a way to make it work and make it worthwhile for both parties. Um, another one of the things that has come up is around how you ask companies um, about the, their stability post-COVID, right? We know a lot of companies have had revenue hits. We know that, you know, these people, people who are becoming unemployed are unemployed because companies have eliminated positions, they furloughed positions. So how do you ask whoever the hiring manager is or maybe it's a recruiter about the stability or the viability of the company um, before you accept a job? Because you don't want to accept a job and then be laid off in two weeks or the company goes under in a month and you're back to square one. Right, right, right. And certain, you know, we know that Certain industries are have been hit harder than others. You know, I'm fortunate to be working in the insurance industry, which is very stable. And I think that that's going to make people rethink things as well as they look forward, as they look at opportunities. But I would say that the stability piece will come, one, from your research in terms of what's going on. Um, for those of you in the Chicago market and other markets, but in, I, I've subscribed to the um, email blast from the Crane Chicago business that gives me a pulse of what's going on in the um, in the market. But certainly doing Google searches on that organization's layoffs are covered by the news outlets such as Crane Chicago's, etc. So I think having those candid conversations during the during the interview process, all the way through the interview process, is fair 
and to be expected by organizations because you do want to, as much as possible, we can't control and predict everything, but you do want a role that's going to be um, stable if possible. Uh, and some of it may be, maybe you may be getting into an industry that it may not be exactly stable or their concerns, but are you getting the experience that you want out of it too? So it's balancing and being intentional, going in, knowing, you know what, I may be taking a bit of a risk, but I'm able to get the experience that I'm looking for here and I may have to move on from there. Or am I able to, am I being able to bump up to the next level? Is it a promotion as well? So you're going from, let's say, um, to a manager, a people management role, so that you're able to have that experience. So look at what you're getting out of it as well. But it's fair to have those conversations throughout. They're expecting it. Um, and then, you know, one more, you know, COVID question. I think something that has become really important to people more so than we realize is looking at how companies treated and thought about their employees during this time. So if someone wanted to know, you know, how the company dealt with you know, their employees' mental health, their employees' like flexibility in times around, um, making sure that they were adjusting with the times and making the appropriate adjustments for their employees. How do you go about asking that question um, without it being like, were y'all out here being raggedy or not, right? Like, how do you ask them how they took care of their employees during this time? Sure, sure, sure. And I think it is uh, just asking, you know, um, how did things go? You know, how did your company handle the um, the quick pivots during uh, during the pandemic? Um, how did com- you know? How did your employees adjust? Um, how did things change? And to see if that opens those conversations. And if not, you can, ha- you know, if you're not getting what you need, and typically you will, you know. But if you're not, then it's okay to ask follow up questions too to mm-hmm. see what see what you're getting. And, um, you know, those of us who are in the corporate world now, we're, we're privy to that and we're seeing how well, you know, um, I can speak for my organization, how well that we're being handled. I, I already worked from home, but when I look at my peers and, uh, you know, and I was just reading this morning that just came out, you know, some of the stages of how we're going back, we're not rushing our people back and how that it's going to look different for everyone. And, and, and asking, how do you think your workplace is going to look differently? You know, um, many companies are going to be offering, you know, they already are, but we'll continue to offer um, mental, mental health breaks, um, you know, spacing and social distancing, taking temperatures at the door, et cetera. Other than that, you know, I think a lot of it goes to back to that networking with people within the organization and um, doing research too online. I mean, I also think a fair question to ask is how did you, how did your company support employees during COVID, right? Because that's like a non-judgmental and you're actually assuming the best because you're assuming that they did support their employees during the time. And so I think that's a safe question that you can ask to get a glimpse into how, one, how they view employee support, um, but then also to see like what lengths they went to, to make sure that they retained the people who who had been working for them during that time. Um, We're going to circle back to this one question. Um, what are some common mistakes that you see people making on their resumes? Because I know this is, you know, we talked about the artificial intelligence and the screening of, of um, resumes because of volume. It's not happening by people anymore. Are there common mistakes that you see people making that rule them out until so they just never even get considered? Yeah. yeah. Well, in terms of the AI or artificial intelligence, again, you will, you will get rule. 
you will get a not me, um, you know, thank you for applying, not me. Um, the uh, needs of this particular position within probably hours. And if you get an email in the middle, of, you applied in the evening, you get an email for the night, that was AI. Um, if you're not getting an email typically right away, that means you probably passed, it was passed on to a recruiter who is visually reviewing it, you know, too. So, um, so again, it goes back to a mistake is not looking at, the types of uh, the types of skills and keywords and phrases that accurately describe the types of positions that you desire and that you are applying for. They need to be on your resume in one form or fashion. Other than that, it really you know if um, aside from artificial intelligence, I think the, one of the things I see, particularly with people earlier in their career, is putting unrelated. Um, experiences on their career um, and it's no offense but you know a lot of times if you're going for a business role we don't need to know you were um, necessarily a nanny or what have you you know I mean going too far back into backgrounds or what have you too so you want to keep a lot of times you want to keep your positions at a certain level and above if you're able to um, so keep more recent keep a meteor um, and if the other thing too is People who you may have individuals who have stayed at home or been out of the, you know, raising children or out of the workforce for whatever reason is putting in meaningful experiences uh, that were volunteer experience, you know, organizations. Maybe they're involved in um you know, for instance, I, I call it old-fashioned um, block captain, but I'm a community representative, and I do work with the local alderman's office. Um, but if people do fundraising with their church or their children's school, et cetera, you're able to put a whole position description around that piece, too. So I think those are some things that people don't always look at where their other skill sets are coming from um, and, you know, just including that piece as well. But, again, the biggest piece is putting their um, putting the key skills and uh, uh, keywords on the resume because you just unless you have somebody that can put it in front of a recruiter in, in the company or um, a hiring manager in the company you're not, you're um, you won't get through the first steps at all from that point. And, um, you know, in general, too, you don't need, I mean, these are minor pieces, but people don't put their their addresses on their resume anymore. At most, maybe the city that they're in. But if you are looking to relocate, um, it doesn't mean that they, they will, you know, if you're in Chicago, you want to go to D.C., they will still call you, but they may not call you as fast. You know what I mean? Like you're out of town. They're like right away to say, you know, on the phone, we don't have relocation or what have you. So you don't have to put your resume. Also, most people will put a the URL link, the hyperlink on their resume because most of the time people are viewing resumes electronically. So they're able to click right through to your LinkedIn profile at the top. So I think those are some of the key things with the resume. And then I'll just add one more thing. So for your resume, right, you don't have a lot of real estate because ain't nobody got time to be going through five-page resumes. Like that, Nobody has the time. There are way too many candidates. Um, and so you want to make sure that your bullets are impact statements, right? You did this and this was the result so that people know that you're thinking full cycle, right? It's not like I was responsible for events. Well, what did you being responsible for events? How did that help the department, the company, like what was the impact of those things? And you need to be picking out 
your highlight reel, right? We don't need to know every single thing that you did for every single position that's on your resume, right? Because if that's there, nobody needs to talk to you. They can just look at your resume. Your resume should be the window that people are like, oh, I want to see what's in the house, right? So make sure your statements are impact statements. Um, Brought X amount of clients, increased revenue by X percentage, brought in whatever. Like there needs to be a result at the end of the statement of every bullet that you have so that people see that you are able to, to think through the whole thing and you can articulate the contributions that you made that are tangible to the, the position that you were in or the positions that you were in. Um, and I would say absolutely. And that would be um, you want to put results as opposed to the description itself. And you want to have easy to read bullet points. Um, I think of it as your marketing brochure as well from that standpoint. Uh, most recruiters still very much prefer chronological or um, resumes, um, and uh, but functional resumes, if you're looking for a job change or what have you, you can play around with it. Functional meaning that you could put, um, you could group it by skill. And some are a mixture as well. But the biggest thing is that People scan resumes. They scan them. Yeah. And that's your way into, as you mentioned, into, in, you know, pique their interest and that they want to speak to you further. Yeah. So no dissertations. Just give us the Spark Notes version. And and the hiring managers will appreciate that, too, because they're also recruit, uh, going through a ton of resumes. And they're quickly trying to remember, you know, attribute what to what person and keep everything straight. So the more concise impact statements, I think, will help help a ton. Um, so this is a question that I got that I thought was kind of funny. Usually, right, you take time off between positions, like you try to negotiate so you get a week off, two weeks off to chill out, let go of the last job and get mentally prepared for this next job that you're getting. Is it still appropriate to build in that time as you are looking for a new job in this current market? I think so. I think it's just, it, it really is personalized and so much of it, it depends on how much do you personally need, uh, want to and need to do to wrap up things with your current position? Because when I find people that go from, you know, Friday to one job, Monday to the next, typically it may be, you know, particularly too, they may be higher level or they just have a lot of work to wrap up too. And, and maybe they want to give more than two weeks. You know, they want to leave on a great note, et cetera. So you can I would say in the as far as the new organization, they want you, they want you to start as soon as possible, but they want you to be ready to go and you want to be ready to go. So it's really going to depend on what you personally need. You don't have to broadcast, oh, you know what, I want to relax, you know what I mean? Or, you know, like, go on vacation or whatever. But when they will ask, when can you start? Then you could, you know, well, you know what, I'd like to start a, a month from now because I'd like to wrap up some things with my, you know, my current organization. Does that work? If they'd like to get you sooner, they'll let you know. So I would just really think of it in professional terms, you know what I mean, too. And uh, But it's okay to have had to have some break in between because when you start with a new organization, you, you want to be hit the ground running. You want to, you know, learn and, you know, be refreshed and ready to go. But again, a lot of times people do want to, you know, you want to leave an organization in a good note. You want to follow up and finish up things, you know, your projects as well. So it's a balance. 
Um, and so switching gears just a little bit, how can people, um, if you're already working for a company, how can you leverage your recruiters to help you maybe find another position within the organization? Sure. I think one of the things is, um, you know, the advantage of being within an organization is informational interviews. So I'm really big on encouraging people to do that. Um, and, you know, informational interviews with the internal recruiters. And don't be afraid to talk to hiring managers and, and team, you know, team members within or departments that you're interested in. So most companies will have um, internal job systems where you're able to set alerts. So, you know, you should be setting alerts, but just utilizing the internal recruiters to say, what types of positions are you seeing available in XYC? Um, you know, maybe you're looking at a location, maybe you're looking in um, a particular department or departments too. So I think that's the biggest thing is that um, get, you know, leveraging their knowledge in terms of they're able to see across so many departments. And then it may be, depending on how large in, um, your organization is, maybe you need to talk to multiple recruiters Maybe that's going to see a broader area of the company too. Um, but I think it's very clear. Um, you know, I happen to work for a company with over 60,000 employees. So sometimes I find company people in my organization on LinkedIn, believe it or not, and connect. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'll connect with the mayor and then send them an internal email. And I'd like to, you know, kind of a virtual coffee if we're not in the same area. So I think, you know, connecting with the recruiters, but don't forget about the hiring managers. Again, the benefit of internal people internal is often, you know, Almost 100 percent of the time, they're going to say yes. All the you know to, to have that conversation. So it really and it's great if you can grow within your organization and find those opportunities there. Is the expectation that before you have you start doing informational interviews that you give your current manager a heads up, or is that not a requirement? Typically, no. It's um, you know I personally am very transparent, and you know for myself. When I, you know, when I, you know, I may mention to my manager um, in our monthly one-on-ones that, you know, hey, I talked to so-and-so or whatever, and they're very supportive of development, but it's not a requirement to say, you know what, I'm going to talk to these people in organization, too. So it's out of And I would say, if you are going to talk to your manager, framing matters, right? So if you can explain or somehow put together how having these informationals will somehow help you do your job better or serve the company better. It's a lot easier to get buy-in that way because what you don't want is for it to appear as if you're being sneaky, right? You don't want it to be like, I'm going, I'm trying to leave. I'm going behind my manager's back and all those things. I think that one, that's not your intention and it creates unnecessary chaos and confusion. And so if you are going to talk to your manager, make sure you have, you have thought through how these action steps are going to one, help your boss do their job, right? Because if you're a better employee and you're delivering and you're understanding the company better, you have an ability to deliver at a higher level, which makes your manager, your current manager and your future manager look good. So just make sure that you've thought through framing. Like I don't, it shouldn't be a conversation like, hey, I'm trying to leave and so I'm going to talk to X, Y, Z to see where I fit better. I think you'll have a harder time getting buy-in than if you are able to tie whatever it is that you want to do Especially if you aren't trying to leave and go somewhere else, you're trying to stay within the company and still add value to the company. Framing of that is going to matter a ton. Um, so we only have like 
not that long left. Um, so I'm looking in the chat. So if people have questions that they want me to ask, I still have a couple more questions, but if you have questions that you want me to ask Joyce before we run out of time, please, please, please drop them in the comments and I will do my best to and, and ask them. Um, how are how should people be thinking about um, if there is a gap in their employment right now? Because some you know that comes up a ton um, as they're talking to recruiters and hiring managers. How should they look at framing that gap in their employment? Whether they were laid off, I think it's a little bit easier. But let's say someone was fired or or something happened that they have an extended period where it takes them maybe a little bit longer to find a job. How do you how do you explain that um, in the in an acceptable way during this time? Sure, sure. Well, one of the things to keep in mind is that still, you know, companies are, you know, do desire people who are typically currently working, that they're current, that they are doing well in their current career um, uh, or, you know, or just overall career, what have you. But we know that for whatever reason, there can be gaps and what have you, too. Um, I would not over focus on it, too. Um one of the things, too, is I would think about, you know, how to make your that time meaningful as well. Now, I know looking for a position is a full-time role, you know, and so that's going to take you a lot of time. But what projects can you work on at that time? Are you fortunate enough to be able to maybe take advantage of organizations that are out here where you can get an temp assignment or can you develop some project work or some volunteer work during that time so that's a nice piece to really cut down the gap period because another job typically takes longer than people think and particularly if you are you know the higher you are up in there in the process but keep in mind too that They've seen the gap on your resume. They're interested in you. So I wouldn't, don't go into your interviews feeling bad about that to, you know, or what have you. They've seen the transition. Um, you know, you will be asked, you know, if you're currently working too, they, just in general, whether you are or not working, they're going to ask, well, why are you currently looking, you know, and, you know, uh, and, they may ask follow-up questions, but typically they're going to keep it pretty high level and they're going to say, well, typically they're very interested in you and not going to get into these days about why did you leave, et cetera. And obviously, you always want to be very positive. Uh, I would not, it's very rare, but you do have people that do talk negatively about a previous employer or in, in a uh, manager or what have you. I'd keep it high level and positive. So... That question always, like, I was laughing, like, why are you looking? Because the answer to that question is because I want a new job. Like, but what are the answers that are acceptable or, like, answers that you've, that you've heard in the past that are, like, okay, this makes sense? Because, honestly, like, why are you looking right now? It's like, because I'm like, what, what do you mean? I want a new job. I'm done with this. So how do you answer that? Looking right, right. And now, if you're not, I mean, what happens is, you know, um, so often – People who interview actually are called passive people. They're not necessarily looking. They were, you know, approached by the opportunity, perhaps on LinkedIn by a recruiter. And so they may be able to say, you know, well, I'm not really looking, but, you know, I um, thought I was intrigued by that or I'm always open to hearing about this. But in general, people, you know, in that question, it's always safe to say if it's true and if it's authentic, I'm looking for a new challenge or, um, you know, uh, I'd like to get into XYC field or what have you. Uh, if you're currently not working, you know, um, 
you might say, you know what, I, I've been, you know, I'm in a job transition right now. Transition is, you know, that means, you know, you're not working. You don't have to explain why I'm in a transition and um, looking at opportunities and excited about this role, X, Y, Z. So you're able to spin it. The key is be prepared for that question, whether you're working or not. Um, you know, why are you looking at this? You know, why are you looking at this opportunity? Mm-hmm. Got it. Uh, so a question. Terry, what is your advice on finding an executive recruiter and should you be working with multiple firms or just concentrate on concentrate on one, like a relationship with one recruiter? Should you keep your options open or just one person? I recommend a more than one, but here's the reason. And I used to be an executive recruiter. Uh, executive recruiters, they can help you, but for the most part, they can all they can help you as much as who their clients are and who and what opportunities their clients have at the moment or you know or in the coming weeks or months or whatever. So they may love you, you know what I mean. But if they don't have the roles available for you, they're not able to necessarily help you. I think that it certainly cannot help to talk, I mean, hurt to talk to many. The reason being is that these individuals are typically very skilled in terms of um, what the market landscape looks like. Perhaps if in your industry, uh, perhaps they can help you with um with job, you know, as be a thought process or thought partner rather through the um, through the process um, and um, interview prep and what have you. But yes, keep in mind that executive recruiters slash headhunters they work for the client, so it just depends on what openings they have available um, that they've been hired to help. Now there are occasions it doesn't happen as often, but there are occasions that the um, Executive recruiters will say, you know what, I've got this great candidate. They'll go to their client and say that. Do you have anything? Keep it, you know, keep it in mind. But typically, they're going to be first so um, focus on a specific opening for a specific company at a time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I, I mentioned at the beginning the, the audience that we typically serve. So normally, our office hours are for I choose the member, uh, I choose the ladder members only. But because of the time that we're in, we open it up. But do how do you see? Because uh, you focus, I think you have an expertise in diverse candidate recruiting. And so how do you see companies prioritizing that specific population as we move forward with uh, recruiting and stuff, knowing that we will probably be impacted the, but the hardest with this? Do you see the, the focus being just as important to hire diverse candidates as it was in the past, or do you see that shifting? I was reading an article just yesterday um, that that said the because of the remote, more remote workers that could come out of COVID-19 environment is that um, it could be a plus for for, for companies in terms of diverse hires because they may not be limited to the labor pool in their market. Um, For those of us in Chicago and other metro markets, we have the benefit of being in a very diverse market. But if you are in other parts of the country, it may not, the labor pool may not be as diverse. And so um, remote working is one thing that can can um, increase that. The other thing to remember about, you know, diversity and, re- and inclusion recruiting, which is very big and very important within organizations, is that we're looking, that companies will always hire the best candidate. 
regardless. But what the, the focus of, of DNI is to make sure we're providing as a recruiter and hiring team, we're providing a diverse slate of candidates and that we're using sourcing tools that will bring forward diverse is in and um, diverse candidates, which is which is typically harder at many times to do, particularly in certain industries. Perhaps certain industries are more male dominated or et cetera. And so, um, or not as many people of color or what have you. So that's something that a recruiter really spends time, you know, doing. And, and what you were finding is um, even pre-COVID-19, um, more organizations having specific diversity recruiting teams that work across all the recruiting um, uh, functions to make sure that we're bringing that diversity um, to the table. Um, yeah, so... I mean, I think we have like four minutes left. I'm looking at if there's one more question, but I think I'll wrap this up by saying that, you know, right now there is tons of fear around the job market. And I want us to, to push past that fear because there are still companies that are hiring. There are still companies who are looking for diverse candidates. There are still companies who are paying their employees. There are still companies who need the talent and so I think our energy is a is a lot better spent on the things that are within our control which is one making sure that we are prepared right making sure that we're doing our due diligence and researching making sure that we are able to put our best foot forward when the opportunities come and that we are networking and engaging but a lot of the other stuff is not in your control. You could be the best person, and for whatever reason, you don't get the job that you love or you think you want. And I, I hope that this current market doesn't uh, discourage people because it does, even in regular times, it takes a really long time. It can take a really long time to find a job. I think I heard it was like something like six months on average is what it takes to find a job. And it, at times when the foundation of a lot of companies are shaky, it could take a little bit longer. So I would say focus on the things that you can control um, and the things that you can't control, you got to find a way to like not let them consume so much of your mind um, because that will drive you absolutely insane. Um, and I guess, so the last question this is a question that I always ask and that I hope that the people um, on this call also think about. Um, Joyce, I didn't add this in the questions, but you've heard me ask it in the past, right? So most of the times, the decisions about people's careers are going to be made when you're not in the room. We all know that whether it's a promotion, whether it's the recruiter talking about you um, after they've interviewed you or the hiring manager talking about you after they interview you, we know that most career decisions are going to be made about people when they're not in the room. So what, ooh, so, okay, so what would you want people to be saying about you when you're not in the room? Think about that question, but we have one last question that just made it in. Um, so William wants to know if there's any advice on breaking into a new industry focused on the same position, right? So switching maybe from CPG sales to medical sales, so it's the same function, just a different industry. Like how do you make that transition? Um, okay. Well, I think making that transition you're already ahead of the game because you do have the skill set. So that's important. And then I think it just a lot of times it comes to um, networking within the industry. Yes, they may look at, you know, competitive candidates that have the same skill within the industry may be ranked first. But if you're able to really, you know, interview well and show that you have those skills and you can learn the industry, um, that piece is helpful. But I would say, too, doing your research on the industry and talking to people in the industry is helpful. And also, um, 
showing that you've proactively tried to learn about the industry that you're going, that you're trying to get into, right? So if you're switching from CPG to medical sales, what have you done to make sure that you know and you can speak the language that they speak and that you can um, connect with the products and the, the different things that they have going on without them having to be 100% responsible for you getting that industry knowledge, I think is also very important. So, and to be able to articulate that, that you have proactively done that, I think also makes a difference. Right, right. So don't feel that you don't have, the fact that you don't have the industry knowledge, don't go in that that's a negative because the fact that you have the skill set is a big plus in their eyes in the company. So you're already, I think, ahead of the game. But then, you know, just being able to show that you can learn, you know, quickly and get up to speed because many of us have changed, you know, changed um, industries. Now, some industries may be harder than others to get into making a change, but um, I've changed industries and it works. <laughs> All right. So our final question because we are at the hours. What do you hope people are saying about you when you are not in the room? Well, quickly, I would say, too, that um, Joyce drives projects forward uh, with organizations, works very well with people, strong relationship builder, and really gets results done. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and on that note, I want to say thank you guys for joining us. There is going to be in about an hour, you'll get a little surprise in your inbox from Joyce and myself. Um, with some little tips and just little cute stuff just to say thank you for um, for taking the time this afternoon to spend with us. If there's anything that you learned, please share it on Instagram and tag me. I choose the latter um, account so that we can share with people who were not able to attend today. And save the date if you are a mom. The office hours for June is specifically for working moms. It is going to be on June 26th at 1 p.m. Um, and until next time, have a great weekend, guys. Thank you. Good luck in your careers. I told you guys Joyce was going to drop some gems. There are so many actionable things in what she talked about um, during the course of the hour-long conversation. But I'll pick three. You guys know I like my top three. So the first one is that you have to understand that that machines are doing the initial screening before your um, resume even makes it to the recruiter. So make sure that you have the keywords that you need um, to be able to get through that initial process. Second thing, it's the recruiter's job to match for skills. When you get to the hiring manager, they're hiring for fit in terms of team and culture, but you have to make sure that you can articulate your skills um, when you are talking to a recruiter. And the last thing um, I think which is the most important is that you have to um, be ready to sell yourself. I know a lot of times we look at sales as this bad thing, but like, If you are not able to convince confidently the person that you're talking to that you are the right person for this job, a recruiter's success is measured on finding the right person for the right job. And so it's your job to sell yourself and convince them that you are the right, you have the right skill sets to be able to do the job they're looking for. As always, if you want to keep the conversation going, you can find us on Instagram at I Choose the Ladder, on Facebook at I Choose the Ladder Podcast. And by subscribing to the newsletter, by texting CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. And until next time, thank you for listening.